You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I'm certainly glad that... What's that? Would you like to drink any water? No, I, no, I wouldn't drink it even if you did give it to me. I'd get too involved and I forget about it anyway, so... I'm certainly glad that your pastor told the jokes this morning. I'm not so good at it, so he got that out of the way. So <laughs> we can get down to business. But we do thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. You know, in the last few months have, you know, really refocused us, especially as missionaries, on what a great privilege it is to be able to be invited to different churches around the country to share about what God has been doing in your life and in, in, in Thailand. And, you know, what we are praying, what we are hoping that God will do in the future. And so we really do humbly uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to see people here, see people excited to be at church. That's a wonderful thing. And, you know, perhaps if I had been in South Dakota all along, it might have been better. But uh, <laughs> yeah. no, but uh, we, we do thank the Lord for, for what he has allowed us to do. And we are out of Bethel Baptist Church in Wallace, Mississippi. We had the unique privilege with our church to be the pioneer missionaries sent out of Bethel Baptist Church. And so never had they sent out a missionary before. So, of course, that has had some challenges with it. Anytime you do something for the first time, you're most likely not going to do it right. And so there's going to be some challenges and some, some growing pains to get through uh, to be able to get that done. But we thank the Lord that he's, he's just increased that at our church and even being willing for someone to open the door and to walk through that. It is in now there's three families out of our church and one in Germany and and one in Guam and so thank the Lord that he has just been working in that you know as a veteran missionary we, it's a little bit of a unique privilege to us as we get around and speak about the ministry speak about missions in that you know we've been there now and we actually have firsthand knowledge of, of, of hey what we're talking about and not to downplay uh, anyone that even hasn't been there yet Someone has to have a dream. Someone has to have a vision. Someone has to have a motivation to pursue that. Otherwise, it'll never get done anywhere. So everybody that starts, starts green and starts new. So, but it is unique, and it is, uh, I count it a great privilege to be able to, to share with what God has done and what God will do because of missions and, and, and what that is all about. And, you know, part of that is, is helping churches to grow. So even the fact that, that we left America to go to Thailand and work with the Thai people helped our church to grow in, in what the Lord wanted them to do. And so, you know, that, that's an important part of every church. Uh, missions is, a, is at the very heart of what God desires from His people. And so any time a church will get involved in that, it helps the church to grow. It actually, and, and you know, and I take that under, I take that very seriously in my life that half of my ministry is, is to you. Half of my ministry is to the Thai people, but half of my ministry is to those who God has commanded to get the gospel around the world, right. and, and I'm that bridge that allows them to get that to, to happen. And so thank the Lord for, the, for that opportunity. But in, in going to Thailand, there's a lot of fruit there that we got to see God do and, and produce in our life that we really like to give Him credit for. Um, some of it is, is just our family has increased. Uh, when we left to go to the field in 2012, we had just two girls, and they were young, three and four respectively, about this time of the year. And uh, so they really don't really remember much about America. But as we were going, we were 20 weeks pregnant with our third child, who is now John. Now John is just about to be eight years old in a few months. And so just to see that the, the Lord has added to our family while we were there, it, it was a great blessing. Never did we have any problems with their medical care. They have wonderful medical care, uh, cheap medical care. Uh, I, perhaps I should not make a plug for the uh, Thai medical tourism industry, but <laughs> <laughs> perhaps if you want to come take a missions trip, amen, <laughs> that would be wonderful. But uh, no, they really do have great medical care. They took very good of my wife. Um, when Judson was born, he was born five weeks early, and she had some serious complications with that pregnancy. But they did a wonderful job. God provided for us. God protected us. And he kept us safe. He gave us the safety we need. I mean, we, we experienced a, a military coup while we were in Thailand. And, and actually, I think that it made everyday life a little bit more stable. <laughs> Thailand is a unique place. But, uh, uh, but we thank the Lord for that. I also thank the Lord. Spiritually, he produced fruit in our family. 
Joanna was saved and baptized while we were in our first sermon on the field. And, you know, I, I'm a believer in, I, well, I should say, I'm not a believer in accidents. Right. You know, that's one of the things that the Thai people, that they believe heavily in and they have a strong desire for is good luck. Many of them, when they depart, uh, they'll say, good luck. And it's not like the, just the uh, absent words or the meaningless words that we give people here. No, they actually, that's what they are trusting in. That's what they are truly hoping for. And so you know, a lot of people in Thailand, when we found out we had two boys in Thailand, they says, oh, Thailand has brought you such good luck. <laughs> and you know, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, God has blessed us Amen. richly uh, to, to be where God wants us to be. It's no accident. Uh, that God gave us boys in Thailand and girls in America. I mean, God knew what he was doing for some reason. And we, we just trust in him. And just to see that our daughter was able to get saved and baptized there, you know, her parents had to be there for her to be able to get saved. And as a parent, as a father, there's nothing more precious to me than to, to know my children are headed to heaven when, when they die. Uh, and, and so thank the Lord that we got to see that. One another thing I give God credit for is learning the language. Now, we did go as uh, uh, rather ignorant in the concept of missions and, and everything that is entailed with that because we were new and our church was new at it. But we did have enough wisdom to understand if you're going to go live in a foreign country, you should at least try to apply yourself to be able to speak to them. And there's a lot of missionaries that do not do that. And there's a lot of people, that, especially tourists and people that live in Thailand that have come and they don't do that. And it really does hurt their testimony in Thailand. But we did take that seriously. And so God put us together with a very good, good language school that taught us the language. And at the same time, put us together with a Thai pastor that took those things and put them into use. He says, okay, you're learning that in school. Now come to church and use it. So we, we thank the Lord that he, he, in his great wisdom, put us together with that. Helped us early on, even though we didn't know a lot about the Thai language and the Thai people. He, he put us in situations that, that he could guide us and train us and teach us how to responsibly speak to and uh, work with the Thai people. And I thank the Lord so much for that opportunity. And I give him credit. He did create language, remember? Yeah. And he made it very difficult to, to, to learn a new one yeah. on purpose. Yeah. So, you know, you better be asking God for some help if you're going to try to do it. Trust me. Thai has five tones. So I can tell you, my, 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 my. And I've asked you a whole question. Translated, and why I got to do it biblically, I have to translate what I just said. So that means, does new wood burn? That's the question that I asked you in, in the Thai language. Now, yep. So, and, and, and by the way, just as a side note, that is biblical tongues. Yes. Amen. It's a known language, and I did interpret it for you in, in the assembly. So, <laughs> yeah, okay, but we'll pass on by that. But we thank the Lord so much for that. Uh, after language school, the Lord opened up the opportunity for us to go and work with a veteran missionary, which is a great thing. And it was a great opportunity for us because in working with him, we got to go and take care of his church for a whole year while he was gone. So we went from language school right into using it every Sunday, every Wednesday, every week, and on a regular basis. And it was a very good opportunity for us uh, to just to get in and work with Thai people learn about their culture, learn about the way that they think, learn about the way that they act, you know, getting to have time working with families, working with people, uh, seeing Thai people get saved, seeing Thai people get baptized, and, and just what a great privilege that was for us. You know, of course, as, as a young missionary, I thought, you go to Thailand, it's all about Thai, right? I mean, you're going to go, and you're going to learn Thai, you're going to eat Thai food, you're going to speak Thai at home, you're going to speak Thai at church, you're going to get mad in Thai, you're going to get, you're going to dream in Thai, you mean, Thai, Thai, Thai. Well, you know, God did open my eyes a little bit as, as a young missionary to help me understand that really, the, the concept of missions is you are a minister to who, whoever God puts in your path. So I get to Thailand, and I meet a young man named Anthony. Anthony is from Pennsylvania. And so I, he started coming to church, and I started witnessing to him, talking to him, preaching to him. And he called me to his house one Monday, and he said, Pastor David, I need to get saved. So I said, well, hallelujah, let's open up the Word of God and, and show you how to do that. I have an English Bible here with me, too. So, so I, we, we were able to lead him to the Lord, but I was able to disciple him, able to baptize him, just invest myself and he and his family. And it just is it's incredible to see what reaching one person can do. Because 
when he first started coming to church, he was coming by himself. And now his wife, who's a Thai lady, is faithfully involved in the church. They have a daughter that they're raising up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They're, his mother-in-law, Thai lady, there in Thailand, is faithfully involved in church. And even the change in his life, what, what, what happened in his life, he was able to lead his mother in Pennsylvania to the Lord because of the change that she saw in Anthony's life. You know, and, and I, I can't think of any better example of what missions is truly all about. Yeah. To go and present to them Jesus Christ, who, who they do not know. Teach them how to love Jesus Christ, which they do not know. Teach them how to reproduce themselves in the lives of others, which they do not know. And they have to have a teacher to do that. And to see that fruition, see that come to, come to pass, where I go halfway around the world, lead someone to the Lord, who comes halfway back around the world to lead someone to the Lord. You know, I mean, it's so wonderful to see what God does. You know, but I think about Paul, those things are in the past. I, and I forget those things which are in the past. And, you know, there's still something ahead. There's still something that, that is before us that we're trying to pursue, that we're trying to achieve in the country of Thailand. And we'd certainly love to see Thailand become a Christian nation. But that's a mountain of work to do. Thailand is almost 70 million people, and right now it is less than 1% quote-unquote Christian. Now, if you were to ask me, in, in Thailand there are probably 10,000 or fewer uh, Christians, actual Christians in the country of Thailand. And, and, I, and I classify that by someone that has been saved, baptized, and discipled to a, enough to a point that they can explain to someone else what happened to them. There's probably 10,000 or fewer uh, for a whole country of 70 million people. So there's still a mountain of work to do. Uh, probably 50 of the 77 provinces of Thailand have no church at all. And some of them have never had a church at all. Never have they heard anything about Jesus Christ. You know, it, it, it is so remarkable to be able to speak to a person about someone that you know so well, you, that you know so intimately, that, we, that you know created the heaven and the earth, that, know, that saved your soul, that, know that, that transformed the lives of so many people that you know, not only yourself, but so many people that you know. And you mention to them, and they look at you like, is that a soccer player? <laughs> They have literally no clue who you, who you are talking about. They don't even understand what Christmas is. They believe that Christmas is the way that Westerners celebrate the New Year's. That's their, Christmas is the Western New Year's holiday. And so it's very remarkable to see the lack of knowledge about Jesus Christ. And you, know, and you tell a Buddhist that, hey, Jesus wants to take all your sin away. They think in their hearts, that's impossible. No one can take my bad karma but me. And so it you know, certainly is a lot of work for us to do. It takes a lot of patience in dealing with Thai people to really teach them and teach them again and teach them again and teach them again and teach them again till those pieces start to work together in their brain and in their heart and they come to understand, you know, what he is saying is truly what is right, what is true. And, and so it, it is a lot of labor-intensive work to try to reach the Thai people. We thank the Lord for that. You know, well, why Thailand, you might ask? Well, I, I think about Paul when he went to the city of Athens. Paul, when he went to the city of Athens, he made an observation. He said, this is a city that is wholly given to idolatry. And, you know, I can kind of understand the heart of Paul, what he was saying there. Because as I go and as I live in the country of Thailand, it's not just a city, but it is a whole country, a whole culture that is wholly given to idolatry. Certainly, I, I, it would have been joy to, to help you to see this in pictures, but I would try to understand, help you to understand and illustrate uh, what we're talking about this morning. Uh, one of the first things that a, a Thai person will do with their day is called the Takbat ceremony. And they'll go out about 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning, and they go down to the end of their driveway, and they have a little bowl of food prepared, and they're waiting for the Buddhist monks to walk by their, walk by their house. Now, the Buddhist monks are forbidden from having a paying job or, or having any possessions in this life. So every day, the things that they uh, live on, the things that they survive on, are things that they beg from someone else. Things that they, they get as, receive as gifts from someone else. So the, any, any Buddhist that is serious about their religion, uh, they'll go and wait at the end of their driveway. And when the Buddhist monk walks by, they get down on their hands and knees and, and they pick that bowl of food up over their head and they bow down to worship the Buddhist monk. 
and it is a very strange sight to see. You know, as probably pretty much common anywhere in the world, those that are serious about religion have, have more lines on their face, <laughs> have more wisdom in their hair. Uh, those that are truly serious about God, you know, is some of the older generation. The younger generation worldwide is falling away from, from, from religious practices. And it is, it is so incredible to see. And a lot of the monks, though, that, that are walking by are, are young men in their early 20s. So it's incredible to see, you know, someone 50, 60 years old fall down to worship a 20, 25-year-old young man. And it's just it's just remarkable, and they really believe that this is what they must do to have good fortune for their day. And not only are they Buddhist, but they're also very animistic, which means they, they worship spirits. Uh, and, and that's very common about every pagan culture in the world. They're very animistic. Even the Native American culture is very animistic. Spirits in the river and the spirit in the sky and the spirit of the raven and the spirit in, in this animal, that animal. And so you'll find uh, a lot of that in Thailand also. Another part of their morning routine is that their house, at their house will have another little idol, again, that is dedicated to these spirits. It's called a spirit house. And they bring a gift of food and gift of drink, and they offer it to this spirit whom they cannot see. And they take a stick of incense, and they light it and put it between their fingers, and they say prayers. But they say prayers in, a, in, in the Brahmin language, which no one knows. It's an archaic language, much like Latin is. To the, to the Catholics, you know, to the Buddhists, all their prayers are in the Brahmin language. And it's very interesting. You talk to a lot of Thai people that have become Christians. One of the things that pushed them in that direction is that certainly there has to be something about what I'm doing that you can know. You know, and most of them are just taught, well, you just got to do this. Well, what does it mean? Well, you don't have to understand what it means. You just got to do this. And yet they do this faithfully, regularly, you know, every day. And it really consumes a lot of their, a lot of different aspects of their life. And, you know, and sad to say, we've even, you know, that's kind of filtered its way into our own culture. Anybody ever been to a Chinese restaurant? Amen? Anybody? Okay. Anybody seen the little cat that sits on the counter at the Chinese restaurant that's got its arm going back and forth like this? That is actually a Chinese representation of a Buddhist idol. In Thailand, they have an, an, an idol called a nanguak, and it's a, it's, it'll be a lady. She'll be sitting cross-legged, and she have, she'll have her arms up like this. And a small business owner will have that idol in their business, and when they get ready to open up their business for the day, they say prayers to that idol, ho hoping to get customers into their business for that day. Uh, it, it's part of their jewelry. It's a part of their attire. Uh, people that, 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 that wear, wear little amulets. And the richer you are, the more amulets you can buy, the more amulets you can wear, and, and the more lucky you are, the more auspicious you are. So, you know, some guys you see walking around kind of makes me think about the Pharisees, you know, all this decoration, you know, with, with their idolatry. They even have idolatry that is connected to their driving, the way that they drive. And, you know, perhaps it's not such a good thing. Uh, but they have the, the little little thing that you can hang around your rearview mirror, or, or you get in some Thai cars. Uh, a Buddhist monk has come and blessed their car, and they they've written some some of that Sanskrit on on the on the top of their cars in some kind of I don't know whiteout or something to bless their cars. But people will actually buy these things, say a prayer to I don't know the spirit of driving. But Thailand is the second worst country in the world for traffic fatalities. They're absolutely horrible drivers. It is absolutely scary to drive in Thailand. I, let me tell you, I went there the first time while I was still in the Navy, and the Navy told me I had to have a briefing with the Department of State to leave the country because of my classification and what I did in the military. And, and, and they said, now, now, when you go to Thailand, under no circumstances are you to get on a motorcycle in Thailand. If you do and get hurt, we will not pay a dime for your health care. Because we are warning you now, it is too dangerous for you to do. So, but, but yet they have these idols that, that they, they worship these things. They put their hope and they put their trust in these things. You know, but it, it's really sad to see a Thai funeral, a Buddhist funeral. Because at a Buddhist funeral, they'll have four signs they'll put up at a Buddhist funeral. And the first sign says, buy my club, which means 
go and never return. The second one says, which means sleep and never wake. The third one says, which means there is no resurrection. And the fourth one says, you can run, but there is no escape. You know, it makes me think about what Corinthians says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those that believe not. You know, those four things are the things that they actually put their hope and their trust in. Four of the basic tenets of their belief, of their religion, that gives them hope for the future. But we know that the Bible teaches exact opposite of that. The hope that we have is that Jesus is coming back. They know that the Buddha is gone. They're happy that the Buddha is gone. They're happy that he's dead and not coming back. They actually believe there is no resurrection, but we know that there is a resurrection. You know, and ultimately, the greatest hope that we have, hey, there is an escape for what we are in. And that's why we go to Thailand, because we want to make sure that they have access to the truth. They won't understand it without someone to show, show them and point them the way, open up the scriptures and help explain that to them. How can they believe except a preacher, and how can one preach except he is sent? And that's why we go. So you pray for us. Um, this year has been quite challenging for us in, in trying to get around, and it's just at most of the new sub support and the things that we're searching for right now has kind of uh, dried up. <laughs> it come to a grinding halt. But um, So hopefully it looks like that November is our goal to get back to Thailand. It had been this month, the end of this month, to get back to Thailand, but we've been delayed by God by that. So hallelujah, we, we, God has something. He knows what he's doing. But, uh, but you pray for us. We're about 80% right now where we need to be, and I expect that to increase rapidly as soon as some churches will get over the fear and start to make decisions again. Amen. But let's take our Bibles this, this morning and turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. If you don't know where to find it, go to the back and turn. just go backwards just a little bit. You've got Jude, Revelation. It's just one chapter. It's just, uh, just 25 verses for the whole letter for the, that, that was written here. But it has something that is very important to us. You know, it, it constantly amazes me that God could create a book that deals with everything that is happening right now in my world today. Yeah. He created it over a period of 1,400 years that was settled and sealed and delivered almost 2,000 years ago now. But yet, even today, everything that is happening in my life today, I can go to it and find something that is meaningful to me about what's going on. And, and, and I tell you what, he, he's just dancing all around me this morning in a Sunday school lesson, and maybe that's God saying we need to hear it twice. Maybe that's God saying we need to really get a hold of this, what, 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 what's going on in our world right now. You know, we, we have a challenge. This, this letter starts out with a challenge. If we look in verse 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation... It was needed for me to write unto you and exhort you. That's a challenge. That's a strong word. Say, hey, hey, this is something. I'm really pushing you. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in front of your face, and I'm giving you a very strong challenge, very strong encouragement. Hey, this is something we need to do, that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Hey, our way of life as Christians is under attack. There is, a, there is an agenda against us. Yes. Uh, don't, don't be mistaken about what everything that you're seeing. You, 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 you watch it and say, man, it feels like there's an agenda against us. You're right. Amen. There is. Yes. There is an agenda against you. That's an, it's an agenda of the devil. The devil wants all these things to happen because the devil is, is, no, the devil is no stupid person. He knows what's in Scripture. And even for a few years, he knows that he's going to get to have his way in this earth. And he says, hey, you know, I'm excited for that time. Yeah, I understand what's coming, but hey, I'm going to have my 15 minutes in the sun. And so he's got an agenda. He's trying to push it toward that. He's trying to get it to, to, to be ready for that. He, he wants that to happen. And if he could accelerate it and get it to happen even before God's timing, hey, all the better for the devil in the way that he thinks. There is an agenda 
uh, against Christians in our life. How do we know that? Well, there's a lot of things that we, we find in this book that are very parallel to exactly what's going on in our world right now. As we look around us, we see things in this, in this, in this that it talks about that will happen that are happening right now in, in, in this very moment. When he talks about that there'll be a time when men will vilify Jesus Christ. Look in verse 4, it says, there, For there are certain men crept in unawares who, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our, Lord, uh, grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, the world is trying to vilify Jesus Christ. Now, what I mean by vilify? They're trying to make him a villain. What is a villain? A villain is someone that is inherently, what he does is evil. And this world is trying to vilify Jesus Christ, trying to make him into someone that uh, perpetrates evil. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, you know, there was a popular movie and a popular thing, you know, um, was it um, The Da Vinci Code, right? And then this Dan Brown character, he wrote some, uh, I think, a series of three different books. And in you know, one of the premises of, of his whole writings was to prove that, you know, Jesus was secretly married to Mary Magdalene. You know, and what is that? That is an attack against Jesus Christ to say that he led a double life. There's a life that, that Christians have put into Scripture, that, that, that Prince Innocent says is this wonderful and great person, but the devil says, hey, you know what? I don't like that. I'm going to vilify him. First, I'm going to show that he has a double life. And now what are they doing? Was it Netflix put out a movie that made Jesus into a homosexual? This world is trying to vilify Jesus Christ. They're trying to take the great and pure and sinless nature of him, that pure and sinless blood that he shed for us, and the devil wants the world to think that he was a wicked man just like everyone else. They're trying to vilify Jesus Christ. Not only that, they're also trying to vilify authority. Look in verse 8. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion or authority, and speak evil of dignities. Hey, come on, open up your eyes right now. What's going on in the streets of our cities right now? It is exactly this. People are, are, are downplaying authority. They're trying to vilify the authority that God has put into our life. Amen. Understand that the, the powers that be are ordained of God. God set the powers up. God put the president in office. God put the government governor in, in office in our state. God put the mayor in office in our state. God created the laws and established those laws. And those laws are there for us to follow. Those laws are there for us to have respect to. Not to vilify, to say, hey, they're against me. No, they are for me. You know, and it doesn't just extend into the civil realm. There's many people in this world today that are trying to vilify the authority of the local New Testament church. Right. Right. It's not a place that we come and, and, and we tell them what to do. It's a place where we go and we God, allow God through the church and through the preaching of our pastor and through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God to tell us what to do. Yeah. It is an authority in our life. Hey, it's not there to try to control us and try to micromanage us. It's there to protect us. He says that that pastor that's there, he is there to watch for your souls. Hey, and, and let me encourage you with this thought. Hey, he's counted worthy of double honor. You know what that means? He's doubly accountable to the word, doubly accountable to God for you. Yeah, you know what? There's an authority that God wants us to submit to. But yet this world tries to vilify that. Oh, they're just trying to brainwash you. They're nothing but some cult trying to control you and control your money. No, it's an authority that God has put into our life. And we got to stop and open up our eyes and say, hey, this world is trying to vilify that structure of authority that is in our life. I mean, even in the family. How many parents run the home these days? No, but no, now it's taught that, hey, whatever the kid wants, that's what they should have. And if you don't give the kid what you want, we'll take the kid away from you. What are they doing? They're trying to vilify the authority that God had put into our life. You know what? They're also trying to vilify individual responsibility. Look in verse 16. 
These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in aberration because of advantage. You know, I, I think sadly that society and, and, and I believe the agenda of the devil has, has begun to vilify individual responsibility. What does that mean? Vilify, you have to work to eat. Vilify the fact, if you want something, work for it. Earn it. Don't go asking for it. Don't go expecting it or demanding it as reparations or whatever you want to call it. Work for it. And yet, now we, we say that, oh, you're just trying to keep us oppressed. You're trying to keep us down. I want $12, I want, no, I want $20 for, for running the cash register at, at McDonald's. What? <laughs> but yet this is part of the agenda. It's vilifying our individual responsibility. Hey, if you want something in life, work for it. If you want God to bless you, work for God. If you want God to bless your church, work for your church. Hey, work, church is a re- responsibility. Yep. It's not a social club. Right, it's right. not an extracurricular activity. Yep. It's a responsibility. Amen. And I, as a member of a church, have an individual responsibility for that thing that God has put in my life. Yes, and the world is trying as hard as they can to say that's an evil thought. That is against God. But let me tell you something. The world is also trying to vilify the Holy Spirit of God. Go, look with me in verse 18 and 19. He says, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Now, this is a little bit more deceptive, a little bit more not necessarily on the surface. But let me tell you, from living in Thailand, there is certainly an agenda against the true work of the Holy Spirit of God. And what is it? It is the, those that, that present this supernatural spiritual experience offered by quote-unquote religion. Yeah. Under the name of what is good, under the name of what is holy, under the name of what is righteous, and they present these ideas that, that, that this is what is right, and this is what is good. But yet, at the same token, coronavirus leaves them <laughs> Where? Amen? How many of the televangelists have put their hands on somebody's head and healed them from the coronavirus in the last two months? You know, I mean, what's going on here? Well, first the devil set it up, presented it as this one of this great thing. You know, it's amazing to me how much that charismatic movement has just taken off like wildfire in Thailand in an animistic society that spent their whole life looking for that supernatural spiritual experience and they bought it, you know, hook, line, and sinker. Crowds, 10,000, 20,000 people will get together for these religious meetings where they have, you know, this, you know, speaking in tongues and things like that. And so now even in Baptist churches, you have a lady coming into church trying to teach the other church members how to pray in tongues. Even in Thailand, it, it is there already and, 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 and growing like wildfire. And so first the devil sets it up, you know, hey, look at this. And then what does the world do? Mock. <laughs> you believe that? Yeah, look at it now. Where, does it, where is it getting you now? Wow. What is that? That is the devil's agenda to vilify the work of the Holy Spirit. So he is so scared and so intimidated, so many of God's people that sit in good gospel preaching churches, and they're like, I, I, I can't say amen because, well, I might be one of those charismatic, the Baptocostals. <laughs> And so through that agenda of vilifying the work of the Holy Spirit, we've totally ignored him, totally cut that out of our lives. We're scared of that. Well, let me tell you this morning, what is our response to this? All right? I I can sit here and remark all day long about things that are happening. 
You're like, oh, amen, that, hallelujah, that's great, that's wonderful. But why did Jude write this small letter? Is it just to tell us what's going on? Well, no, I have eyes, I have ears, I have a brain that God has given me. I can look around and I can notice and observe all these things without Jude's help, I guess if you will. But from God, from the Holy Spirit of God, the reason he writes this is because he wants us to have a response to it. He wants us to do something with the things that we see. He has something that he wants to do in our lives. You know, we can sit here and preach all day and give you information. But that, all that information is 100% useless unless we, we explain to you what does God want you to do with it. So what should be our response to this? Is our response to everybody make sure you got an AK-47 or a, an assault rifle and we're going we're gonna to go handle these guys? Mm, I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't represent the character of, of our Christian forefathers, those that have had great success and even more difficult times than we're facing right now. Yeah. You think about the Dark Ages, when they would tie them to a stake and put wood underneath them, and they say, recant or we'll burn you alive. I trust in Jesus. Oh, okay, well, if that isn't good enough here, let me tie your hands, the hands and feet of your child together, weigh them down with stones and throw them in the river in front of your face. And they said, no, God is God. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. What are we supposed to be doing? What is, what is our response supposed to be? Are we supposed to flee to a new land? Flee to, to new territory where it is free from the corruption of sin and corruption of man? Well, let me submit to you. Where is it? Hey, we, we enjoyed so much in our country. The reason that we were able to, to have a country founded upon the Word of God is because it was a virgin continent. It was a new world. It was an, an area that was relatively un... un why well, I hate to use the word uncivilized because there were certainly people here that had civilization and people here that were getting along just fine without us, but there was plenty of room for, for, for expansion. And that God you know, had preserved a continent so that his people could flee too and be able to do whatever they needed to do. But let me ask you today, where is that? So is that our response? Is that our response that God is wanting from us? I don't think so. Now, what is God wanting from us? He's just wanting us to continue. He wants us to put one step in front of the next step, one foot in front of the next foot. He wants us to wake up tomorrow with the same heart, with the same prayer, with the same desire, with the same anticipation that we had yesterday. Hey, I read my Bible yesterday. I'm going to read it tomorrow and the day after that. You know what? Yesterday morning I got up and prayed. Tomorrow I'm going to get up and do that again. And to, the next day I'm going to get to do, do it again. Amen. He says, hey, continue. Look in, verse, uh, look in verse 20. He says, but ye, beloved. Now, now he says, but ye. Now, we're getting down. Now, this is what you're supposed to do with this information. All this information that I've given you about what's going on around you and the things that you can observe in the world, and by the way, it's nothing new. It, is, it has happened from the, from the day that Adam first committed the sin. Hey, this has been happening. Amen. And it will continue to happen. and will continue to get worse until God takes us out of here, which, hallelujah, I hope that's today. Yes, Amen. Amen. I hope I can I not even have the invitation. and yeah. that, that soon would be just fine with me. It says, but ye, beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith. The first thing he wants you to do, he wants you to continue to grow. Yes. He wants you to continue to see those things in your life that don't have no business being there and get rid of them. Yeah. He wants you to continue to look into your life and look through the word of God, look to the direction of the Holy Spirit and say, hey, what's not there yet that I need to put in there? Is my relationship with God where it needs to be? Or can I grow? Can I do better? Can I get more familiar with the Word of God? Can I get more in tune with the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life to know and to do the things that He wants me to do? Amen. Hey, we can, can still continue to grow. Amen. You know, I, I might not get any taller this way, but I can sure get closer to God. Amen? 
We continue to grow. Continue to pray. Also in verse 20, he says, praying in the Holy Ghost. Continue to pray. What is our response to what we see going on? We fall down on our knees before God and say, God, only you are the one that have control of this situation. Only you know what's going on. In tragedy, we had a tragedy in our church about a week ago that one of the fellow missionaries in Guam, his son took his own life. You know, and I got to admit, it kind of made me a little bit upset. Kind of made me a little bit mad. Yes, you know, bad things happen. And you guys said, well, what is your response supposed to be? Hey, you got to continue to grow. You got to continue to pray. I appreciate so much. Our, our former pastor was my pastor when I was going there. And, uh, and Dr. Westmoreland, he, he, he got up and says, you know what? God is a God of tomorrow. So anything that happens today, he knows already he's got it in his plans for something that's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. And he brought up Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah to go buy a piece of ground yeah. that meant nothing to him. Why? Because God had a plan for the future for that. You know what? That's why we got to continue to pray. Amen. Because God knows what's going on. He knows how to take what's happening in my life right now and everything that I see that's going on. And as I spend on my spend on time with, on my knees to prayer to him, he's going to give me the wisdom. He's going to give me the knowledge. He's going to give me the understanding to understand what, what, what do you need to do with this. I need to continue to pray. We need to continue to love. In verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You know what? It's very easy for us to start observing some of the things that are happening in the world right now. And it's very easy for us to allow hate yeah. to begin to creep into our hearts. Yeah. Hate for those that are burning the buildings. Hate for those that are shooting the children. Yeah. Hate for those that are, are protesting and trying to push the agenda of socialism on our country. Yeah. It's very, hey, hey I, I'm no better than anybody else. You know, I, you ask me, I, I, I keep a 20-20 lever action on the dashboard. You know, I forget the pistol thing. You know, I want to I have some reach. <laughs> I want to get to them before they get to me, amen? Well, where does that come from? That comes from hate. And Jesus says, no. When you see all these things happening, here's what you need to do. You need to continue to love. You also need to continue to watch. In verse 21 looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. Hey, let me tell you something. In everything that we see right now, we need to look. Look up. I believe it's so soon, so soon that his mercy is going to become sight in my life. Amen. As I leave this world behind me, as I get to rise up to the clouds and, and watch this planet disappear. What great mercy of God to take me out of all this mess. Hey, before it really gets bad. <laughs> Look. Look for God. Wait for God. Watch for God. Longingly put your heart in, in, in trust and in dependence upon God. Hey, I'm getting out of this soon. I'm going home to my real home, not this temporary abode. I get to go to my real place. But he also tells us to continue to witness. Verse 22 and 23, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. What are we to do with what we see? He wants us to continue to tell others about Jesus Christ. Now, i got to be quite honest with you. As I see things, bad things happening, particularly by individuals, perhaps as the Holy Spirit or, I, I don't know, just part of me, there's a part of me that says, is that my failure? I think it was about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Remember down in El Paso, Texas. That nut went into Walmart and shot up people in the Walmart. And everybody was all quick to, oh, terrorist this, terrorist that, or, you know, agenda this, and, you know, whatever. You know, but I remember thinking about that, that he's old enough for someone to have told him about the love of Jesus Christ. He's old enough for someone to show him the healing power of Jesus Christ. You know what? 
There's good churches in El Paso. There's Christians in El Paso. And it struck me with a thought. Who was it that dropped the ball? That didn't give him what he needed to prevent that tragedy from happening? You know, and as I look around me right now, I honestly have to ask myself, which opportunity did I walk on by? Hardened? Bitter? By everything that I see? Hey, because it happens to everyone. As we see the, the plight that our country is in, we see the plight that the world is in with the coronavirus. And, you know, and, I, and I think, unfortunately, we've, we've just kind of allowed that to harden us. Oh, I can't tell them about Jesus. They'll think that I'm going to give them the Rona. <laughs> and we, we allow these situations not to give the response that God wants, but to give the response that the, that the creator of the agenda wants. A hardened heart. An unsympathetic heart. You know what? It, it all centers around that word in verse 22. And of some have compassion. Hey, I've told you what the challenge is. I've, I've, I've tried to help you understand a little bit about what's going on in the world right now. I'm trying to help you understand what God wants you to do with that. Now let's get down. How are we going to have to help that happen? Compassion. Compassion. Who is a great example of compassion? Jesus. I just can't understand it how that he could walk this earth knowing the sinful and vile and wicked and evil heart of the men that he passed every day. Knowing that that rich young ruler was going to deny him, walking away, not knowing that he had eternal life because he loved his riches more than he loved Jesus Christ. But the Bible says he still loved him. He had compassion on him. When's the last time that you asked God to increase your compassion? Yeah, certainly I think that a lot of people are looking at what's happening in the world right now and we're asking God to increase our faith. We're asking God to increase our, our patience. We're asking God to increase uh, our safety and the protection that he puts in his life. We're perhaps asking God for, for his servants that are out there on the field to, to see more souls saved. But have you asked God, can I have more compassion for what's going on in the world right now? Now, hey, I didn't say it. The Bible said it. And of some have compassion making a difference. How are we going to make a difference? Have compassion. How are we going to have compassion? Grow in the Lord. Pray, continue to pray. Continue to be faithful to His house. Continue to, to, to watch for Him. Continue to witness to others. Hey, you can't help it. But, but, but you adopt the idea, hey, I am a missionary. It gives you compassion. I, you know, it, it, it would be impossible for me to explain to you if you've never been outside the country if you've never been to somewhere where it's so desperately dark and idolatry like Thailand is, it would be impossible for me to help you to understand, but there's a compassion that comes with it. And we really need to increase that compassion if we want to increase the difference that we make upon the world around us. Look at the world around us. Hey, it needs us making a difference. It needs the people in this room making a difference in their communities, in their homes, in their schools, in their jobs, in their churches, in their state, in their country. We have to have compassion. We have to look at them not as someone that shot an innocent child, but as someone that's going to spend eternity in hell. I don't want that. How much compassion... Did God have on me to be patient with my obstinance? As the Holy Spirit convicted me time and time and time again, you must be born again. I said, no, I don't. I know what the Bible says. I trust in Jesus. 
Mm, you've never asked me. Oh, no, I, I said a prayer. But yet he had the compassion to be faithful to me, to love me, to reach down his hand to me. Think about that song. Oh, when he reached down for me, he reached way down for me. Why? Because of his compassion. Perhaps this morning, we just need to ask for more compassion. Some of us are quite bitter. Some of us are quite discouraged and feel somewhat hopeless because we've never really tasted of that compassion. And it's hard to give someone else to some, someone else you haven't tasted yourself. And as you look at what's going on in the world right now, boy, it's fear. I mean, it's, it, you're, you're troubled. I don't know what happened in that young man's life. He took his own life, 17 years old. But he was troubled. You know, that happens to even good people, missionary kids. Now, he had a good testimony of his salvation. But many, I know many people in that position today, sitting on that fence, sitting on that fence, waiting to make decisions, they don't know Jesus. They haven't tasted the compassion that he, that he really loves you. Hey, make today the day you get a taste of that. How are you going to impact the world around you? Be born again. Be part of the winning side, not part of the enemy. Get saved. Trust in Jesus. So let me encourage you this morning as a saved, born-again child of God, ask Him to have more compassion. You think you, you want the missions of your church to improve? If God will improve your compassion, He won't have any problem increasing what you can do for missions. I want to go back to Thailand and see more people saved. You know, He can give me all the money in the world, but if I don't increase my compassion for the Thai people... Not any more of them you get saved because of me. I have to have compassion to make a difference. Do you have that compassion this morning, Pastor? Let's all stand, please. I really don't feel like I need to give an invitation. I just feel like some folks ought to come pray. I really do. The Lord's touched your heart like he's touched mine this morning. That was a message from the Lord.